Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the podcast. I'm Michael. And I'm Noy. And we are the Knights of Entertainment, a podcast covering your favorite and unknown movies, games, comic books, anime, and more weekly. We appreciate you being here and hope you enjoy the show. This is what we are covering tonight. Uh, tonight we are going over a little subplot within Overlord. Uh, it took up, I believe, three episodes in the anime, but... Uh, it's one that I find interesting, so we'll cover that tonight. But before we do, uh, like, share, and subscribe to the channel. You can enjoy the show on YouTube, Spotify, Rumble, Odyssey, and more. We also have membership tiers on those platforms if you'd like to support the channel. Or you can check out Coffee Brand Coffee. Uh, use our promo code KOE Podcast and get 10% off. Cool. But let's go ahead and get into it. Alrighty. So, uh, there, there, uh, Within season three of the anime, I believe, if you want to watch it, uh, there is a point in Overlord where there's actually an invasion of Nazarick, where there's a, a group of people that try to invade the tomb of these godly beings, because mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't know no better at this point, really. So it starts off, though, a little bit of backstory with it. Uh, we have, uh, if you're watching it in anime form, it would be episode six is where it starts. Uh, and the title of the first episode of this little arc is uh, Invitation to Death. <laughs> so <laughs> it starts off just wonderful. Uh, we have uh, deep beneath a remote tower in the Ministry of Magic, uh, Fluter Paradigm, which is like one of the most powerful wizards within this new world of overlord it's like one of the like there's only two or three people that are above his like on his level in this world if you take out the guild of uh einzelgone fluter paradigm fluter 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 Fluter. a better name huh (laughs) so we see him and he's trying to control a death knight a death knight is a uh level 40 i believe undead uh, basically, it's something that usually ruins entire cities if it's released. And he's trying to control it. Like a zombie. <laughs> uh, as he's still unable to, he intends to someday achieve control of it so that way he can perse- uh, uh, surpass a person named uh, Regret. Uh, basically, kind of like a hero class character. Uh, as the most powerful magic caster. As he moves to another section of this tower, his undead minions are uh, performing experiments to see if skeletons in proximity to corpses will turn the corpses into zombies. To see if being around undead will turn a dead person into a zombie. Kind of like just the negative energy, I guess. Maybe. Death death magic. Uh, With no uh, progress so far whatsoever. Uh, Fluter exits the testing area of this tower where a royal guard of the uh, Empire of uh, Baharuth. It, so it's not, uh, uh, for context, uh, Einzel Gone, whenever they were transported to this new world, were basically put in the center of almost uh, three countries mm-hmm. at this time. So you have the kingdom where the king and queen and all that kind of stuff exist and that uh, Einzel Gones ends up taking over, basically. And then you have uh, the Baharuth Empire, which is always at war <laughs> with the kingdom constantly. Okay. So there, we're in the kingdom of uh, Baharuth at this point. And he's coming out of his ta- uh, tower, and there's this royal guard that approaches him. And they inform him that Adamantite adventurers, uh, there's an Adamantite adventurous team that want to meet with him. Fluter asks, is it uh, Silver Thread Bird or Eight Ripples? But he's surprised whenever the guard tells him it's Darkness. That's the name of the group. Uh-huh. Darkness is basically Einzel Gones guild. Like, within this new world, he created a two-man team of him and one of those battle maids that we've covered in one of the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh Gamma. She's the one that uh, we were talking about that can use the, the dragon lightning and stuff like that. Okay. So she's extremely powerful. It's just the two of them. And they call themselves Darkness. <laughs> Very. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a random name. <laughs> well, they took it from a group of adventurers that helped him in season one, I believe, that were named that. Mm-hmm. Where uh, they ended up dying in that first season. Because they were around for like two or three episodes, and they all got killed hmm. by a lady named Clementine. <laughs> One of the weirdest names possible. <laughs> so, uh, in the streets of the capital uh, of our winter, Momon, which is uh, Einzel Gone's uh, alter ego in this new world, 
So uh, Einzelgon normally is a level 100 magic caster. As Momon, he's uh, known as the Black Raven Knight, basically. Because mm-hmm. he wears black armor and stuff like that. And he, he plays as a, a warrior class instead of a magic caster. That way people don't know who he is. Okay. So uh, Momon notes how everyone has a, has a look that they each believe that they have a bright future ahead of them. And Nabe, uh, the person that's with him, or Nabro Gamma, uh, notes the wonderful landscape. Uh, Momon explains to her that Emperor Jerkniv, which... It's, a, it's spelled J-I-R-C-N-I-V. He's uh, the emperor of this Baharuth Empire. Okay. So uh, he's also known as the Bloody Emperor uh, for his forcing uh, incapable nobles from power, his value of the talent of all the citizens, and his social reforms, which brought incredible impact to the empire when he took over. Uh, the nation is gaining power by uh, magical research by Fluter Paradigm and military improvements, even pointing out that the petroleum soldiers who are of better quality than the Riestes kingdom, which is that kingdom that I was talking about before that borders this empire, uh, which drafts basically any commoner to fight for them. The Baharuth empire is basically training soldiers instead of just relying on draft basically. So, uh, uh, Momon makes a uh, slight bow to them as he proceeds on his way, uh, seeking out the Arwinter Adventurers Guild to sell his name and try to spread his name within this new world as not as Einzelgon, but as like a uh, extremely powerful warrior, to where everybody basically gives him money to hire him. So he <laughs> He's trying to make money in this new uh, world. He's <laughs> bored, I guess, or just trying to get rich. Trying to get money. Because the Yggdrasil money that they had from the guild itself whenever they got transported to this new world Mm -hmm. is not the same currency that they use there. So he he also doesn't want to, like, show his hand so fast. It's like he doesn't want to give him Yggdrasil gold and then to them, like, where the fuck's this from? This doesn't come from any country we know of. Why don't just fucking just wreck a a whole country and just take their gold? Oh, he does that later on in the series, so don't worry. It just seems simpler. <laughs> he's At this point, he's trying to basically not alert uh, anybody within the new world that uh, Eindelgon exists with that, the Tomb of Nazarek, basically. Mm-hmm. So he's been trying to kind of stay under the radar, so that way if there's other players, at this point he still think that it, thinks that there's other players in this new world that might be able to compete with him. So okay. he's trying to kind of go under the radar a little bit because he doesn't want them to know. Okay. But uh, uh, and Nabe remembers uh, hearing of workers being common. Momon states they do request, but they're not protected, following guild regulations or anything like that, uh, or are funded by the guild. So in this uh, Baharuth Empire, unlike the kingdom, the kingdom has a guild that takes like um, requests and stuff, kind of like the the stereotypical adventurers. So, like, you can pay them to do requests and stuff like that, and the guild supports them and stuff like that. And the Baharuth Empire, they have workers. So the workers get to choose if they want to do a job or not instead of the guild telling them they have uh, to do a job. Okay. So it's kind of like uh, uh, having a union versus not having a union <laughs> in the real world. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically all it is. Uh, uh, Momon sees some merit in what they do. Uh, He thinks back to uh, Demiurge's plan for making Nazarek a recognized nation, considering it a genius one-way plan, and knows the dice are now rolled. In the Imperial Palace, uh, Emperor Jerkniv has an intelligence report on the demonic disturbances, specifically Momon, which is Einzelgun, fighting uh, Jaldabaoth, or Yaldabaoth. Uh, for context, in the earlier part of this season, or uh, the previous season, so it'll be season two of the anime, but it just backwards in time, uh, Demiurge, the demon guy with the red suit, basically made a play to take over the kingdom as uh, a demon lord. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the uh, Black Raven hero Momon defeated him. So he raised his name and status by beating his own subordinate, technically. Huh. <laughs> and it was just like an act the entire time. They're just pretending? Yeah. <laughs> it was just a way to 
Raisin's name. Yeah. He figured out a way. And it was all Demiurge's idea since he's a huge tactical strategist and stuff like that. So he kind of figured a good way to raise uh, his notoriety and Dude, stuff. I got a plan. Just beat the shit out of me. <laughs> Pretty much. After he had already beat the shit out of everybody else. <laughs> so it's like he's done decimated everybody. And then uh, this new guy comes in. basically yeah. comes in and kicks his ass so so not to fear i'm a hero <laughs> pretty much uh as the demon that uh, hasn't been sighted since so basically uh, his alter ego yaldabaoth because he wears a mask so you can't see that it's the normal person uh Zirkneve, this emperor believes that the kingdom uh is in, ex- in a in an exhausted state uh in their in following these events uh, they may not need to wage the annual war that they have. <laughs> the they have annual an, war. They, have, they literally have an annual war. Um, and as they have gained information easily from the treacherous nobles that have left the kingdom, uh, there's little to be done to quash the Riestes kingdom at this point. He then orders Fluter, the wizard, to investigate the demon, uh, while also uh, has answers on. Uh, he wants answers on Momon, the Black Knight, and he wants answers on Einzel Gone, that saved the head warrior in the first season. So he's basically want information on Einzel Gone, which is both Momon and Einzel Gone. But he wants information on both of them. So. Uh, believing some hidden heroes and villains have come out of hiding. Uh, the Emperor theorizes these are the initial happenings of a great battle, similar to the war with the great evil deities 200 years prior, <laughs> which were another set of uh, people from our world that were sh- like sent over to this new world while they were in the game. So they had the same kind of abilities almost that Einzel Gunn would have had. What happened to them? His character. Oh, they died. Oh, well, shit. (laughs) They died. Uh, While the Emperor's four Imperial Knights giving him uh, respective inputs, uh, Fluter concludes that the conversation and with some uh, news of his investigation with Einzel Gunn. Meanwhile, in the Riestes kingdom, Zanuck, which is one of the princes, uh, discusses with his father's plans of rebuilding uh, all the stuff that was destroyed by Demiurge, basically, whenever they destroyed parts of this capital. Uh, Renner, which is the princess, inquires into the status uh, of those taken, because Demiurge took some of the people from the capital to experiment on them Mm. as the evil being that he is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the investigation is still proceeding. Uh, with no leads on how the demons took 100,000 citizens. Damn. Demiurge took 100,000. Put them in his pocket walked off. Remember, he's using them to to make uh, scrolls and stuff like that. So, oh, yeah, their skin? Yeah. I remember. Forcing them to breed with other races. and Gross. <laughs> Demiurge is a, a very cruel person. He takes joy in it, so... Uh, Zanuck uh, then asks his father to be reassured as citizens are praising the king's efforts in the restoration. Plans made by the princess and Zanuck. Uh, and the magician's guild is researching the magic item that uh, Demiurge was seeking, believing it to uh, it will find a way that they can understand what he was doing. Uh, suddenly, the second prince, the older prince, uh, Barbaro, the eldest of them, uh, enters with uh, Gazif, the head warrior, uh, the one that we see in the very first season of Overlord, like the the main warrior for the kingdom, uh, scolding him for entering without permission. <laughs> uh, you basically have uh, Barbaros, or Barbaro throw a big-ass fit and everything, saying that uh, Gazeth is just a commoner and he doesn't need to listen to him, even though he's the main warrior of the entire kingdom. So uh, Barbaro asks why they're not sending soldiers to Erantel. Uh, which is uh, one of the places destroyed earlier on, uh, with Xanak answering that the Empire will not attack. Uh, later on, Gazif and Brain, which is a dude that uh, Shaltir, the um, the vampire girl, mm-hmm. makes cry <laughs> in the first th- in the first uh, season, I believe. Yeah, first season. She. Uh, <laughs> this dude brain right he's got this ability that allows him to create a barrier around him of like uh, if something steps inside of it he knows exactly where they are and where to attack right <laughs> Shaltir tells him are you done setting up your your stuff and then she literally just steps into it while he swings a sword at her she catches it reverse 
like to where it's coming towards her, she just catches it and then lets it go. Like she didn't, he didn't, he could not even hit her, even though he has this imperceivable knowledge of what's inside his barrier. He could not even touch her hmm. the entire time. So then he goes to go fight her again, and she's literally fighting him with one nail the entire time while she's yawning. Hmm. <laughs> so he's like monster, cries and runs. Well. He's like, I'm not fucking fighting this. But that's who Brain is. <laughs> Uh, so you have Gazoff and Brain. They're dueling against each other uh, while Climb, the uh, retainer basically for uh, the princess of this kingdom, observes the fight and stuff like that. Uh, you have uh, Climb and uh, Brain uh, fighting against Gazoff, like practicing basically the entire time. Uh, then you go into, uh, let's see here. All right. Uh, in the Singing Apple Pavilion, uh, and back into the Baharuth Empire, we meet a group of workers, basically. Mm-hmm. So you have this guy named uh, Rubber Dick or Robert, <laughs> Robert Dyke. Oh. <laughs> R-O-B-E-R-D-Y-C-K. You kind of yeah. know what they were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> Goldfron uh, is being told by Hecaran Termite that he saw incredible equipment on a foreign adventure, which was Momon. Uh, when walking through the streets. His presence and his gear definitely prove he is not a worker like they are. Uh, he diverts to how gorgeous his companion was, which was Nabe, the, uh, the battle yeah. maid. <laughs> he's already like... He's fucking banging, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's got some expensive shit and she's fucking hot. <laughs> uh, his presence... Uh, when uh, Robert asks if she was prettier than Inma, which is the girl that he's dating at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hecaron says the black-haired girl was. It's like, so, well, damn. She was fucking hotter. You gotta get on that, then. <laughs> you got, uh, uh, Robert is astounded by uh, his saying that despite how much he loves Inma. Uh, immediate la- immediately after this, Inma walks into the bar. <laughs> So his girlfriend walks in. Fucking ears of burning red. Who the <laughs> fuck is talking about me? <laughs> causing Hecron uh, a guilty voice stuttering, basically. <laughs> uh, she is followed by uh, Arch, which is a short little blonde haired girl. Basically, I think she's a magician. Yeah, she's a magician. Uh, Inma is a half elf. So she still has the ears and stuff like that. I forgot there's like other races, but they're not like as prevalent anymore, right? Yeah. 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 Well, not in within these two um, kingdoms, basically. Uh, uh, outside of these two kingdoms, yeah. I saw this uh, on thing on Facebook. It's a dwarf's uh, battle uh, tips mm-hmm. for fighting humans. <laughs> Like how, like what, like where to hit them if they have a certain weapon? Yeah, because dwarves being smaller than a human, it was hilarious to see. <laughs> I have to watch that later. I don't know where it is, but it just it's like just like if you're taking it like like if he's got a, if he's got a, like one of those big old uh, pole axes, mm-hmm. you go straight for the kneecaps with your shield, boom. <laughs> And if he's got their own shit, you gotta like hit him and then go up like a like a. An Since uppercut. you're already shorter, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. hit him up and maybe like it'll hit him in the in their face. Yeah. Shit, so you know, being me being short, I'm a dwarf. <laughs> we always go to war. That's actually a really unique idea though to to figure out how other races would fight. Yeah, give a little credibility to their existence. Yeah. All right, so after that, uh, after entering the closed space, uh, the Team Foresight, which is a group name for these four people, uh, discuss their next job, the exploration of a newly discovered tomb in the Riestes Kingdom. Uh, Arch states that she learned that their client is Count Femmel, who is losing favor with the Emperor at this time, the Bloody Emperor. Uh, Why is he called the Bloody Emperor? Because he basically killed all those old no- the other nobles oh. that didn't do their jobs. Well, <laughs> and this this guy apparently is getting ready to fall out of favor with him. So, so once you fall out of favor, <laughs> it's a death sentence. Uh, but still has the finances to back the job. Hell yeah! Uh, they are paid two hundred gold up front, one hundred and fifty upon completion, and bonuses depending on on their findings. So I don't know, like how is it? That's a lot or not? It's a lot. Okay, just it's making a sure. Lot. It's a lot within this. So you can tell me two million yen. It's like eighty bucks. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> Um, as it was uh, a newly found ruin, Inma knows that those are uh, those are most rare. As she thought uh, they were already all found at this point within this the two kingdoms, they mm-hmm. thought they'd already found all the ruins and stuff. Uh, 
looking at the map, Arch confirms that there's never been an ancient city or nation in that area. Because they're talking about the great tomb of Nazarek at this point. Oh, is that the tomb they're going to? Okay. Yeah, yeah. But there's a small village, which is basically under Einzelgon's protection at this point. Uh, Hecron reminds them uh, discretion, their major scruple of this job, as if they were found that the Riestes royals would take note. Uh, they take a vote on the job within this group uh, with unanimous agreement. Uh, exiting the bar, Hecron asks Arch if her fr- uh, friends should speak with her parents about the debt that they had racked up. Because apparently this girl, Arch, is part of a, uh, a noble family that has kind of fallen out of favor with the the emperor and are poor at this point because they don't have access to any of their money, basically. Imagine having, like, imagine being rich and then not being rich. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you've, you've tasted the gold nectar. Yeah. Of uh, fortune. Uh-huh. And now you're back to suckling water. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I guess lucky for me, I can live off $10 a day. So. Yeah, like I grew up, you know, we're broke, so. <laughs> I grew up dirt poor. We don't know what that means to be rich and not be rich. I mean, just I want to get there. but <laughs> You want to get to rich and not be rich? No, just rich. Okay. <laughs> I don't want to fall off, too. <laughs> See, I want to make it so far that I get up there and then fall off. Oh, hell no. I would hate to be like, you know, especially like if we fall off in our older age. Oh, that would Like you're 70 years old. You got to get a cashier again. Got to go be a Walmart greeter. Oh, my God. You got to. More of the story, people. Invest your money. Save your money. Be frugal. And you'll be rich forever. Make uh, good investments. Exactly. Not Bitcoin. (laughs) Well, no, if you. Bitcoin ain't bad. Because it's a long-term thing. Everybody that thought that it was going to be an overnight millionaire just because of it. Like Dogecoin? Yeah. yeah. To the moon! <laughs> well, my cousin lost all their money on Dogecoin. <laughs> to the moon! I that shit every fucking day. Remember, even if you shoot for the moon, you'll land among the stars if you miss. Now, here's the thing, Which is people. deep black space. Yeah, I was about to say, it's going to be deep dead space where you die. Exactly. Without oxygen. <laughs> You'll be in the black. In emptiness. Exactly. You'll see the stars in the distance and you'll die. <laughs> so don't shoot for the stars. You better shoot for the moon and make it. <laughs> All right. So uh, after Arge takes her leave, because she leaves to go to visit her sisters, uh, her remaining friends think of what could happen uh, if uh, she retires as a worker. But Inma is sure she'll support her sisters as Arch is a third-tier magic caster and can get a job basically wherever she wants, since it's kind of high demand within this world, uh, especially with her talent to see magical capacity of others. The same talent is Fluter Paradigm, so they can both look at a person and see, like, as an aura, how much magic power they actually possess. Okay. Uh, Hecron uh, proposes training a second-tier caster, but uh, that's a last resort for them. Looking at their other options, uh, they're all thinking of retiring after this job, specifically. Because it pays enough that they can just quit. How unfortunate for them. Oh, yeah. Their last job. How unfortunate. Let's hope they all get to go right off into the sunset, happily and rich. Oh, we'll see farther on. Don't worry. Uh, Arch returns home to find her parents spent money that they don't have to decorate uh, their house with new artwork. Uh, Arch explains that they need to be conservative. Spend money you don't. How do you? How do you spend? Is it credit? They're spending her money that she makes as a worker. Oh, on random shit. Every time I hear like you, make, you spend money you don't have. Where where where's this money you didn't have? <laughs> if I spend money I don't have, I wouldn't buy anything. Exactly. I don't have it. Exactly. So what the fuck do rich people do when they spend money they don't have? They must just take a lot of credit out. Yeah, that's they're using her money to subsidize their to look rich, basically. Because her father, uh, she does he doesn't want to uh, he doesn't want to lose to the bloody emperor. And uh, once he dies, the they think the emperor is going to die here at this point. Uh, once he dies, it will regain their titles. Yay! Arch swears that once she you is, know evil takes forever to die. Yeah, pretty much. And the thing is, is that uh, they keep naming him the bloody emperor. But he's kind of one of those uh, people where, yeah, he did kill a bunch of the nobles, but he's not trying to destroy the country. He's trying to build the country of these, like, um, nobles that are, like, selfish, basically. Kind of rooting out the evil within the country. Uh, he's rooting out, all right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's pulling that shit up by the, by the roots. <laughs> 
uh, <laughs> Arch swears that once she is uh, has her own funding, she'll take her sisters from their home to somewhere better. Her father retorts that all care until now was because of him, and Arch with her uh, sisters owe him immense gratitude. Exiting their living room, Arch meets with her little sisters, and uh, they, they walk up to their rooms, basically. Uh, at night, in the Singing Apple Pavilion, uh, the same bar that they were in earlier, mm-hmm. uh, Emma sleeps as Harkin looks out at the moon, believing that this is going to be their last job. Yeah, it is going to be their last job. <laughs> what I hear. Uh, at dawn, uh, the worker groups uh, from Foresight, another one called Dragon Hunt, another one called Heavy Masher, and another one called Tenmu, have all gathered for the exploration exploration mission to explore and investigate the mysterious tomb. Each worker group captain meets, uh, and they all greet each other, and uh, they kind of exchange names, stuff like that, for the ones that don't know each other. Uh, but after Inya uh, takes his leave, the other leaders note uh, he could be a danger to them all, even seeing uh, him mistreat one of his elf slaves, because he's basically a, a single dude that's really well known for swordsmanship, mm-hmm. but he has slaves that are elves, mm. and he, he goes over there and just starts beating them and shit. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Femmel's butler... Uh, the guy that it had hired. All I, don't these. See, I don't see these floors sparkling. Starts <laughs> fucking swinging on them. <laughs> so you have uh, Finn Mills Butler, the one that had hired these worker groups. He comes out to thank the worker groups for accepting the job and directs them to their caravans. So they have these big old covered like wagons and stuff like that. How much are they paid before they go? 200 gold up front. Up front, huh? 150 upon completion. And then whatever they find there, they can keep. What? That's a weird, like, why would you pay less on the completion? Because they're getting to keep whatever they get while they're there. Oh. So. Okay, I guess that makes sense. It's kind of like a. What do do they get then? They're trying to explore it. So if there's anything super major that's found. They just want to know what it is? They want want that. They don't care about the smaller stuff. Okay. Uh, The butt. Excuse me. The butler explains gold adventures uh, will guard their encampment, but uh, <clears throat> the swordsman that beats his uh, elves raises concern over Look at this fucking toilet. Clean that shit up. Well, because gold class adventurers are only three levels up, basically. Mm-hmm. So you have copper, silver, gold, uh, and then more tiers all the way to the very highest. And Olympic gold medals. Yeah. Which is the very highest is what uh, Einzelgon basically is already. <laughs> um. The butler alleviates the concern by introducing Momon and Nabe. They're going to be also going with them. Oh, what and, a plot twist. And adamantite adventures from Erantel. Uh, Momon surprises everyone at the end of this. By killing every by, single one of them. By asking each uh, uh, would uh, choose to head to the ruins, right? With some answering uh, money and no one countering uh, that claim. Thus, Momon replies, he says, truly worthless question, and I'm sorry I even asked. Because he's trying to figure out why they would even take the job to go do it. Like, it's not just, you know, for the, the adventure. It's not for To no, be honest, like, why would anyone tell him anything else, you know? I wouldn't money. want to if he would know my business. Money. Like, yeah, it's just money, you know? Like, what I really want is this uh, potion that'll hear my <laughs> uh, incredible uh, magical disease that I can't get rid of. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, why would I tell him a secret, like a weakness of mine that I need to kill? I don't, I don't, I don't think he was looking for uh, like any like super, super, like uh, Maybe he was thing. trying to figure out which one of them was a player. I, I partially, guys, I think what's, so. What's your goal here? I think that's what it was. Like He's trying, fortune. He was trying to root out basically, does anybody have uh, any other reason besides greed? I'd be like, hey, like, like, uh, like, uh, hypothetically, say I was a being from a different universe and I I got trapped (laughs) in this universe and I I was hoping I could find some answers in this new place. Like, I would just, like, (laughs) all air quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Just speaking hypothetically. Uh, So, So I can get the fuck out of this place. (laughs) So, all that would have been within uh, episode six. Uh, if you're watching the anime anyway. Uh, then we would move through episode seven, but the title of episode seven was called Butterfly Entangled in a Spider's Web. Mm-hmm. So we had Invitation to Death, and now you're you're caught, basically. Yeah. Uh, so we have, uh, at the beginning of this, Arch is using a telescope, and she's viewing the top of the mausoleum of Nazarek, because they had already made it there at this point, but cannot identify what era or setting it originates from. 
You have a Harkon. He believes that uh, there'll be more rewards later. Uh, Rubber Dyke, or Rubber Dick, uh, however, notes that uh, there could be a chance of a very powerful undead lurking within. And it's like, how little do they know? <laughs> they have like the king of death basically inside there if he's wanting to be there. But uh, Enma wonders aloud what kind of person could have built a tomb in this exact area to have been buried within. Hercon uh, is excited at uh, finding more from the unknown. But Arch is too focused on the reward of money to care about the wonder. Money. Mm-hmm. Uh, her teammates laugh at the single-mindedness, with Hercon acknowledging this could be the best job ever. Could be. <laughs> uh, in the dead of night, Hercon finalizes the plan that they have reached with each of the other teams at a given signal. Uh, Grinkum's team leader uh, enter their entry point and find a burial room with an unknown banner over a sarcophagus. So basically on the outside of the main part of the, like one of the little mausoleums on mm-hmm. the outside. And they find an unknown banner and stuff like that. Uh, alone, uh, Grinkum and his party, uh, Heavy Masher, uh, talk casually for a moment upon examining the banner they find that it is woven with precious metals worth tens of co- uh, coins for one banner of gold tens of coins tens 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 oh tens of coins yeah so like uh, 20 30 gold eh, for I don't just know if that's the worth it how big yeah. are these fucking banners Gigantic. Put a big ass fucking banner in my pocket. How the fuck am I supposed to? <laughs> well, so then you have uh, Gringham. He orders them to leave it and focus on the main objective. Yeah, that's what I would say. Like, you don't need this shit. It's not <laughs> worth enough. And they open up the sarcophagus. Uh, they are astonished to find it filled to the brim with treasure. It's just filled to the brim with feces. Like, what just, the fuck? It's filled with gold and everything. Just, well, there's the money. Well, we, we did it, guys. Let's get out of here. And when meeting with, whenever they went to go meet back with Harkon uh, in the central mausoleum, the others uh, have already found incredible treasure as well. Basically, I think this is Einzel going. like, okay, you want treasure? Here you go. Take it. I think he was leave. trying to, uh, yeah, get them to leave like without, you, without hurting them. To see who's really stupid enough to... to Not so much. It. I guess he was just trying to sway them. To just, I mean, there you go. That's what you wanted. You wanted treasure. And there you go. Uh, when arriving at the stair descending uh, into the first floor of Nazarek, uh, the smell of dead fills the air, leading to worry of undead below. What does the smell of dead smell like? Graveyard. I never, Rotten flesh. Uh, never smelled any of that. A dead animal beside the road? No, well, a possum, but that's just a pot. No, like a skunk. Yeah. A nasty yeah. fucking whiff of skunk. Yeah, that's the de- People say like that the smell of death, like you're supposed to know what the smell of death is. Oh, you would know it if you smell it. What I, I hope not. You would. Like, uh, there's, like when you're driving out in the country and stuff like that, mm-hmm. like even on the highway, if there's any kind of dead animal and you go past it, mm, you know. Hmm. You definitely know, and it's it's not a good smell. Yes. <laughs> uh, with Papartra, uh, request his team to look for hidden treasures around the surface. Uh, Papartra uh, only asks for his compensation fee of ten percent to all the treasures should a safe route be found. Basically, he's trying to worm his way out of going directly into the front of it because he's smart enough to know there's probably something down there I don't want to fuck with. Probably. So he's like, hey, uh, me and my group, we'll go look for another entrance. (laughs) Basically one that might not be trapped. Uh, After they enter, Robert Dick uh, senses no undead responses. And Heavy Masher, the other uh, group, uh, members note the tomb has to be at least 600 years old. Making it more valuable and a historical find. It was Henry Mash, but he's somehow the archaeologist of his fucking expedition. Yeah. <laughs> well, he looks like a little dwarf. So. It's a trace of uh, Inca, maybe Mayan, a little bit of Egyptian. My God. <laughs> but it's a masterpiece. I'm uh, Dr. Heavy Master, PhD. <laughs> Area, uh, the one that beats his elves, being impatient. <laughs> I'm gonna just keep adding that as a, a suffix to everyone. Yeah, whips the shit out of his fucking people. Yeah. Uh, he uh, being impatient hurries to uh, to the others as he wants to kill. Being monsters. impatient, goes over and beats some more of his elves, then comes right back. <laughs> and at this point, they see general skeletons running at them from below in the hallway ahead. Uh, Gringham eliminates the skeletons and advises them to be cautious going forward as there could be more powerful undead later on. So then we go back to the base camp where they had set up all their supplies and stuff like that before going into the mausoleum. Mm -hmm. And we have Momon 
or Einzel Gum, standing there, and he knows that the workers have entered the tomb. And another gold adventurer states that they are comrades in this mission, hoping they'll return safely. He then asks Momon's opinions, or Einzel Gones, and uh, <laughs> Einz lets slip that they'll die, but uh, quickly corrects himself. <laughs> Basically, uh, he has to reword it as like, they, they knew their resolve when they were going into an unknown place. Mm. <laughs> Instead of, oh yeah, they're just going to die. <laughs> uh then uh, the gold adventurer buys basically into that and is relieved of the, of the confusion. Uh, Momon goes uh, to rest as the gold adventurer takes the first watch. And returning to his tent, he returns to his Ein's persona and basically uh, Pan- uh, Pandora's actor, the guy that can shapeshift and stuff like that, yeah. takes his place. Nice. So he swaps place. So there will still be a Momon or the Dark Raven warrior outside if they need him. But he goes back to being his normal skeleton self at this point. Uh, Ainz enters the throne room uh, to an awaiting Albedo. While she's sitting there, basically. Uh, asking Albedo about the preparations for the planned visit of the workers. Albedo assures him that the preparations are complete and that their guests will enjoy the surprises. Ainz is pleased and looks forward to seeing Albedo's measure of hospitality, as they call it. So, <laughs> he kind of knew this was going to happen. Uh, as he sits on the throne, Albedo pulls up light monitors to view the various worker groups. Ainz notes their entry, ordering Albedo not to let a single one of them go unscathed. So. They can be more, uh, I don't know. He's a, he was a regular human, right? <laughs> not, not anything... Uh, Super crazy. Right. And he comes to this world where there's now living beings. And he's so callous, let me just kill him. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems like... <laughs> Well, you also have to remember he has a status effect that uh, being an undead, basically, uh, it kind of like suppresses all his emotions. Hmm. So he doesn't have the normal emotions that he normally would. So like anger, sadness, happiness, they're just kind of repressed a little bit. But he can still feel them, just not to a normal degree. Damn. (laughs) Um. As Albedo uh, promises to punish the thieves for trespassing into Nazarek, she asks Ainz which group he'd like to use as guinea pigs for his new sword, with the overlord thinking about it. A little while later, as Team Foresight, which we've met already, is walking with Arch, notice, uh, noting it is all too easy to reach as far as they did. Enma warns them to be quiet. Looking around a the corner, they see a group of undead soldiers. Arch detects first-tier skeleton mages, providing them support, which could have uh, problematic uh, could be problematic for them going forward. So then you have Mr. Rubber Dick. He goes out there and uses holy magic and destroys them. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, outside... The guy that uh, basically wormed his way out of going down the tomb to begin with, uh, <laughs> he, uh, what was it? Uh, he notes the loss of the prophet, basically. Um, what does that mean? He's uh, saying that, yeah, he's going to lose out money, but he's not going to be the first one to die down there because <laughs> he's going to let them die first and then go down there. Wait, if he's going to die, why can you even bother? I'm like, well, I'm not getting fucked up down there. <laughs> Uh, but their leader notes entering an unknown tomb right away and fights too much danger and is using the others as canaries in a coal mine, basically. Mm. He's using them as the, the test subjects here. Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm not stupid enough to go down there first. Let me see what this poison gas is first. Exactly. So then we have uh, Yuri Alpha, one of the main battle maids. She surprises them by acknowledging a level-headed decision. We have the dragon hunter team turns and they see the Pleiades, the battle maids, all outside of the tomb. Uh, <laughs> minus Narborel, which is the uh, guy that Momon or the uh, Narborel Gamma, the girl that's traveling with the, yeah. the warrior. So all the Pleiades except for her at the top of the staircase. One of the Dragon Hunt members notes that the maids of a, at a tomb is a bad taste since they mustn't uh, be good at their jobs, which triggers the Pleiades because they're battle maids and they only look up to the great supreme beings at this point. Uh, the dragon hunt tenses uh, up, sensing that uh, they have that killing intent at this point. Except for the guy who triggered them. Uh, when calling for them to kill them, Yuri claims her sisters uh, to focus... Uh, what was it? Uh, Yuri uh, calms her sisters to focus as they will kill them, but uh, due to the restrictions by Ainz, they cannot kill them directly. 
So Yuri summons the old guarders to hunt this this uh, workers team. Uh, it, it's basically a group of skeletons that have magical gear. So they have magic hammers and stuff like that. Like uh, one of them actually has like a Thor's hammer. Where oh. When he smacks one of them down on the head, there's just lightning bolts that shine, uh, shoot out of it and everything. So they're going up against these and they get decimated at this point. Like they get destroyed. Um, and you have Intima, one of those battle maids, the insect one, where she's just up there drooling because she wants to eat them. <laughs> uh uh, Yuri then calls for all the still breathing to be healed and sent to the torture chamber while the dead are to be examined by Ainz. Uh In the tomb, Heavy Masher, uh, the one that uh, has the little dwarf in them, uh, they run from a squad of elder liches shooting fireballs at them. As they run, the, three, the thief of their group finds a door and enters through to hide. Feeling safe, a teleportation trap is triggered. Finding themselves in a dark room, they soon meet Kyohuko which we have covered before, which is an area guardian. Uh, he is the cockroach. Oh. Uh, who, after his introduction, is asked... Uh, it burrows up their asshole. Eats yeah. them from the inside out. Yeah, pretty much, yes. You have uh, Gringham, though. He's offering to trade his escape, basically, to him. Uh, but Kyohuko is thankful for their presence as his children need food, and they are tired of roach-on-roach cannibalism. Uh, as the roaches eat him alive... Another of his men was transported to Neronis Painkiller. And I, I know you remember who this is. It's the one that looks like a, a, a fat girl with the uh, BDSM. Oh, uh, Cthulhu creature? <laughs> There's one that's sent to her. Damn. A special intelligence collector who elaborates that the worker groups have entered Nazarek, the most honorable place in the world. Neronis goes on and on about Ainz and her love for him and uh, going on a tangent about how she hates Albedo and Shaltir. As Neronis's uh, creator suffers from kidney stones, she feels that she should start with a special tool inspired by it. <laughs> Jesus. Where it's got uh, spikes on the tip of a... Kidney stones, God. going to shove it up there and... <laughs> then we have uh, somewhere else in the tomb one of uh, the elf beaters elven slaves here's something up ahead and they soon meet Hamsky wait so the slaves are still with him yeah they're still with him I was just joking about him beating the shit out of him and coming back no they're still with him Jesus he's chasing my red work huh? <laughs> hey, come on down with me <laughs> well he runs into Hamsky the hamster that has like a a, a long tail like that looks like almost like a snake, but it's not. Mm -hmm. uh, who is sparring with the lizard men that uh, we see in season two, I believe, and a death knight. So he's in there just sparring with him, a big ass hamster looking thing. Uh, when asking his slaves what kind of magic creature he is, uh, they have never seen it before, they say. And then this pisses him off. Uh, Hamsky informs this dude that they are uh, to fight and see the results of Hamsky's training because he speaks in like that third person type <laughs> thing. <laughs> uh, with the Lizardmen and the Death Knight uh, will not intervene in their fight. Uh, as they both take their st stances, Hamsky introduces himself. But the uh, the elf beater doesn't feel the need to uh, need, need to do that since he thinks that this hamster is inferior to him. Thus, Hamsky, he says, will erase this loser from his memory with no name. So the, the hamster's already so fucking cocky. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine, you won't give me your name. I'll just erase you from my memory then. Uh, uh, as uh, Hamsky charges, the elf beater evades this. And I'm going to keep using the word elf beater because that's what he is. <laughs> he evades this using martial arts, but is headbutted by Hamsky before getting an attack in. Uh, Enria's uh, nose bleeds from the damage and he loses any sense of composure. Hamsky, however, sees him using his ability and remembers his training to keep a distance until he knows more about them. So, like, this hamster has literally followed all these uh, rules of fighting and is learning how to fight, basically. Hmm. So, to know more, Hamsky switches to close combat, standing upright, enraging, uh, enraging, in, er, it, yeah, enraging Enria to attack wildly. But Hamsky's natural fur and claws are strong enough to shield it from the sword. Uh, changing attacks uh, to her tail, uh, Enria is critically injured and berates his elf slaves to heal him and enchant him. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking save me, please! <laughs> Reluctantly complying, they do it. Oh, Hamsky poli uh, politely requests that they all attack him to see the outcome. 
So he wants the the elves to attack him as well, not just this, not just the elf beater. So I think I'll swipe at all of them with his tail and just chops their heads off. Pretty much. Uh, but Enri attacks like a madman with Hamsky countering by cutting off both of his arms using martial arts uh, slashing strike. He cuts both of those dudes' arms off. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen a martial arts move just chop someone in half. <laughs> I don't know what kind of martial arts he's using. Uh, Enria roars uh, as his slaves uh, to heal him, but he starts to see them uh, laughing at his plight. Because mm. he got both of his forearms cut off, basically, where he was holding the sword. So Hamsky used its claws to slash off both arms at the same time. Jesus. This is where the arms go flying still holding the sword. <laughs> That would suck so bad. It's like, you think you're a master swordsman and then your arms go fly off? <laughs> like, what kind of bullshit is this? Uh, elsewhere, uh, after uh, basically uh, Hemsky, he kills this guy. Uh, after that, he puts him out of his memory, uh, his misery by using his tail to smash in his head and busting it like a, a, a watermelon, basically. And then after that, the elves are uh, over there kicking his corpse. And it, it confuses Hamsky because he, uh, he's wondering, it's like, is this a ritual? Like, what's going on with them? Because they're over there giggling while they're kicking his corpse. Damn. <laughs> they hated the dude so bad. I, which I can... Good I, reason, I, yeah. There's a reason for it. So. Uh, elsewhere, though, we have Team Foresight. They realize that they had been teleported by way of a magical trap. Seeing a dark hallway, hallway, they realize uh, they're understanding that they're in a, like an imperial coliseum because the uh, the Baja Ruth Empire that they come from they have a big ass like Roman uh, coliseum there, hmm. and they realize that they're in something similar to that. Uh, that they are there to fight somebody. Looking ahead past the cage doorway, uh, they are to enter some sort of arena. Hecron also realizes this, and after moving forward, entering the center of the Coliseum, uh, they believe they're outside and looking at a starry night sky. Spoilers, they're not. They're literally on the... Uh, they're in fucking hell. They're on the, like, the, the, I believe, sixth, the sixth floor of Nazari, so they're way underground at this point. Arch uh, opts to use her fly spell, but they are all starter, uh, startled uh, by the surprise arrival of a dark elf with a microphone at this point introducing foresight to an empty crowd they are then introduced to Ainz uh, as their opponent so you have uh, Aura she comes like doing one of those kind of like uh, what are they um, uh, what Dick Grayson was what was Dick Grayson in uh, Batman homosexual <laughs> acrobat Okay. Uh, where she comes like flying over the edge with a microphone and she's like introducing team foresight <laughs> and the master of this tomb uh-huh. I will go with a record of 119 wins <laughs> no losses two draws <laughs> uh, she basically and she she introduces Einzel Gone as like grandiosely as she possibly can uh, wearing his signature level uh, rating <laughs> Defending! He just starts screaming. <laughs> he walks in uh, wearing his god level rings, but he's dressed in a simple robe and trousers while wearing an XB boosting shackle collar around his neck. Because he's uh, trying to figure out if him gaining experience, if somebody else is wearing the same shackle, a type of shackle collar at that point, if they will also get the same amount of XP. So he's still trying to play game mechanics in this new world to see if uh, kind of like whenever you play, uh, I, I think it's uh, what do you call it? Uh, the fractured butthole, isn't it? Where like if uh, the team wins, they all gain experience. Uh, I can't remember. I don't think any of them. Have, no, none of them have levels, but you. Okay, it's more like but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, though. like where everybody gains the experience after the win. And those no, those no new Pokemon games. Yeah, like the ones for the Switch. If they all, they all get experience from the if only one of them fights. Yeah, that's right. Like was, fuck all that bullshit. Yeah, the winner gets it. That's kind of what he's trying to figure out if it's going to work. Uh, Albedo following behind him as his corner man. <laughs> the two stand before the team foresight. Uh, at the back of the group, Arch apologizes to her friends as she believes her selfishness and greed lead them to the encounter with Ainz, but they affirm her this was a team decision and not her fault. Uh, Hekron looks over at Ainz and whispers to his friends that he may have a way to talk them out of this. Hekron takes a uh, cordial posture and apologizes for intruding into the tomb without permission, seeking to ask what recompense Ainz would like for their departure. Ainz, however, compares their presence to that of maggots in food. Unwanted, and you don't simply let them go. Uh, but you can't blame the fly for its instinct. 
uh, as they choose to invade their tomb out of greed, and uh, Hecron tries to elaborate their full intent. Ein stops him and uh, says that there's uh, he, he basically displeases all the lies that they're talking about. Uh, Hecron asks if what if he had permission to enter the tomb, and this triggers Ein's. He's like, what the fuck do you mean permission? Uh, Aura looks in concern while Albedo looks in uh, unassuming anger, but Ainz indulges Hecron and asks who could have given him the permission. Hecron stalls with minor details of a monster description, looking for some way to escape at this point. But when Ainz plays along and asks, uh, did this, what did this friend say? Promising their safety if they were indeed granted permission to enter. Because at this point, Ainz thinks that maybe one of his teammates said they have permission to enter. Because he doesn't know Demiurge's full plans behind all of this. So he's like, who told you this? Is there any other players on his team or just him? Just him. Oh. Everybody else is NPCs. Hmm. But they're all loyal. So At this point, they're not really NPCs. No, they're real people at this yeah. point. But <laughs> That's why uh, he's trying to figure out, it's like, okay, who gave you permission then? Like, I'll play along. Who? Who's been giving all this bullshit out? So then you have uh, Hecron. He says, uh, the comrade told me to give Ainz his regards, which uh, Ainz immediately knows this to be false, as he and the NPCs only know know of his name change upon coming to this new world. Mm -hmm. Everybody else would know him as Mamonga. So if they said Mamonga, give Mamonga my uh, regards, it may have been plausible. But he said, give Ainz. My regards. How did he know who Ainz is? Because uh, he gave uh, Aura just said his name. Uh, so give Ainz my regards, but nobody else would call him that but those NPCs. Mm. So uh, laughing it off, he tells them the story doesn't hold up. He goes basically into full triggered raging mode, trampling, uh, saying that they're trampling into his home and that his comrade, uh, his him and his comrades worked so hard to fucking create, and how Hawkron uh, basically tried to lie in the name of uh, in the name of his friends to his face, since he's one of those kind of people that uh, loved playing the game with his friends so much, them using his friends basically against him just pisses him off to no end. But after he gets super mad and everything, you see this black aura coming up around him because he's so pissed. That ability that hampers his feelings kicks in. And then he's like, no emotion after that. Hmm. So the calming effect kicks in and Ainz returns to his rational mindset, elaborating that on his feeling, but doesn't blame them for trying as uh, he would basically expect that of somebody trying to survive. And that the anger in himself is a selfish reaction to their lie. But in the role of Overlord, Ainz orders all he can uh, to, uh, that are around him to uh, basically cover their ears. Unheard, Ainz says that he doesn't want to bring them into Nazarene, but it was all a plan by Demiurge. So he's like, I didn't want to bring you motherfuckers here, but Demiurge thought he had a plan to bring you here. So uh, done complaining, though, he uh, removes his top robe, ready to fight. Shelter in the audience stands as uh, she fangirls over this since he doesn't have anything on over his top at this point. She's a skeleton. She can't. <laughs> or she's, oh my god. She's like, quite a type, huh? <laughs> Uh, done complaining though uh, with uh, Shaltier uh, doing that a hidden Kakaitis pulling her back down underneath so that way nobody can see her (laughs) Uh, and with Hercon momentarily wondering what the sound was because they didn't see her they just heard the noise (laughs) that like fangirl squeal Uh, Ainz uh, orders them to uncover their ears and uh, he holds a high tier sword and shield combo so he's basically going to be fighting them kind of like a warrior would attacking first Ainz goes for Hecron while Arch and Robberdike or Rubberdick provide support magics Uh, Ainz's passive skill nullifies their attacks and he easily uh, counters Hecron's attacks around his shield Arch uses Flash to blind uh, to blind Ainz, as Robber uses Strength Boost to Hec- uh, to increase Hecron's attack. So they're kind of working as just majorly like a party. Uh, the assault fails, and Ainz stands ready. He acknowledges that a skilled party with a great teamwork has a high chance of beating him, but decides to play a different game with them. Ainz unequips his weapons to be a magic caster again, surprising the workers as he fought evenly with Hecron's warrior classes. Arch uses her talents to gauge Ainz, finding no magical power within him, since she can basically see the magic flowing around him kind of like an aura. Yeah. She doesn't see it. 
Eines notes this and apologizes as he is wearing a concealing ring to hide his magical output. Uh, <laughs> undoing this and uh, seeing it in his full magical potential after he takes off this ring, she starts throwing up. <laughs> My guy is still over 9,000. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad. Ein sees uh, her puking at him and uh, he's like, why would you puke at me? Like, really? Am I that disgusting to look at? <laughs> Why she's still there vomiting? Uh, Rubber Dick uses a lion's heart to quell her fear, and Arch states that Ainz is something no human can hope to win against, because she can see his actual magical abilities. Uh, as they won't attack him, Ainz decides to make a move first using Touch of Undeath, a spell Arch has never heard of. Ainz uh, calmly walks over to them, easily deflecting Inma's arrows. He instantly appears behind Inma to use t- uh, the Touch of Death, but Hekron pushes her out of the way and uses a heavy combo of martial arts to strike him. Thinking he got him, he stands bemused at Ainz with no damage, who grabs him by the face. Just right over the top of his fucking face and uh, uses uh, what was it? Paralyze instead of uh, Touch of Death. and he thinks that Touch of Death probably was overkill for them because they're not high enough level to even use something that low of a level skill on hmm. so he's like just paralyze fuck it uh, Enma then directs her insults to Hecron who should have just abandoned her and let her die instead but he doesn't uh, but he didn't as he loves her Eins calls out uh, the distasteful for her to uh, basically be insulting the person that just saved your dumb ass. So like, why would you, why would you start berating him? Uh, <laughs> uh, it is then that in, uh, Enma remembers and tries to buff I, uh, to bluff Eins that they don't, uh, if they don't return by a certain hour, Momon, the Raven Black Hero, will come for them. Eins rebuffs this as he cannot save them from him. Because it's like, dude, I, that's me. <laughs> I can't fight myself here. So. That'd be confusing if they, they're like, what do you mean? <laughs> like they didn't understand. you here. <laughs> it's like, huh? <laughs> uh, it is then that Rubber Dyke hands a pouch of coins to Arch to flee uh, to get back to her sisters as the others fight Ainz to buy at least 10 seconds for her to run away. Seeing this, Ainz states he thought it would be more. Uh, they would have a more disgraceful exit, but Enma and Robber uh, did as they should of their comrade, uh, asking Eins if his old friends were not the same. He confirms they were. Eins then recites the saying his friends would say, uh, which was... Uh, Your brightest day. Uh, John fifteen thirteen. Uh, believing that uh, believing it was from uh, the Gospel of Mark, but was uncertain. Uh, Enma implores Eins to let Arch go, basically over there pleading to let this little mage girl go. Eins lets her go, but orders Shaltir to follow her, and when despair consumes her, to give Arch a, mer- a merciful death. Uh, Robert Dyke then uh, attacks, questioning how death basically can be mercy. Like, how is that mercy to her? Just let her fly away and then go kill her? <laughs> Then Ainz, he elaborates to him that in Nazarene, death is a mercy, a freedom from suffering in life, stunning the battle cleric basically at this point because it's like, oh, death is, that's freedom? <laughs> I don't know, because there's worse things here. And like, imagine getting uh, like the other guys where they're still getting eaten by roaches over and over and over and over and over. Uh, Enma and Robert Dyke then gauge Ainz uh, to buy time basically for Arch. Uh, as Arch flies over the forest, her magic runs out, and she sits by a tree wishing she had done something to have helped. Looking up, she sees bats flying overhead, closes her eyes for a few seconds to find Shaltir gazing uh, menacingly over her head, asking if she has finished with, uh, finished with this game of tag. Uh, she continues to flee using her fly ability, only to hit an invisible wall, which Shaltir explains is the border of the sixth floor, still underground. Arch asks if there's still a chance at escape, uh, with Shaltir confirming that there is none, leading the young mage to fight the vampire in desperation. Shaltir easily disarms her, and uh, in a hold, Arch, uh, like uh, basically like hugging her at this point, uh, tells her that she should be thankful that Ainz granted her a merciful, painless death. Arch then, in her horror, sees Shaltir become her true vampire self, which looks like a lamprey, basically. She goes from looking like that little Victorian goth girl to a lamprey-looking face. <laughs> uh, the fish? Yeah. Like with the, the teeth in a circle. and Oh, oh, those. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
and she uh, she licks the side of that girl's face. <laughs> it's like just a taster. Oh, that was some fan service there. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it was spit in my mouth. <laughs> Good God. Uh, then we go back to the amphitheater. Uh, Inma uh, falls paralyzed while Rubber Dick is uh, barely able to move. Eins commends them and orders Aura and, uh, to take Hecron and Enma to the large hole of a name that uh, I'm going to butcher, but uh, uh to have uh, more nesting room. This is uh, one of those area guardians that we talked about in a long ago episode about how he uses humans as nest. Mm. Yeah. Aura desperately, but calmly, asks if Mara can do the task instead. Because <laughs> Aura doesn't want to do it. Heinz approves it, and the Dark Elf goes to compel her brother to do it in her place. Uh, that Heinz? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, Rubber Dyke, uh, barely able to continue, asks what Heinz's plans are for him. As he is a faith magic caster, so he's kind of like a paladin, basically. A paladin or... Like holy warrior, almost. Uh, Eins wants to run his experiments on him, including memory alternation uh, alterations to see if uh, what would happen if his god was replaced with another one, uh, if it will affect his magic or anything like that. Robert Dag asks uh, how, why Eins would do this, and in a simple response, he says he does not believe uh, he is the only chosen one in this world and wants to be stronger in the event of a battle with another one. Mm. Talking about players, basically. Yeah. He wants to be prepared if there's another player somewhere in this world. And he wants to get stronger than a level 100. Back in the throne room, uh, Ainz commends Albeda for her diligence during the invasion. Intima arrives with her new lip bug, having taken uh, Arch's voice at this point. So after Arch is killed, uh, Intima gets uh, a voice bug, so that way she has uh, Arch's voice. Uh, to inform her that Aura and Mare are ready to depart. Albedo asks if Ainz is comfortable uh, hearing that voice after basically just sending Shouter to kill that girl. And he says, uh, what was it? Uh, he is, as it was, uh, he ordered Intima to have it. And since Intima is like a daughter, basically, of one of his friends, he'd, he'd rather her have that voice than it not exist at all. Uh, Ainz asks uh, Intima, uh, if uh, they made use uh, or efficient use of Arch's body, which she divided appropriately. Arch's head was given to the one of the silk hat demons. The arms were divided among the dead man's struggle. Demiurge took all her skin, and the rest was given to uh, Grant's children to eat. Ainz is pleased with this, as the hunter must use the captured prey without waste. Uh, that is how it's best to respect the dead. Meanwhile, late at Arch's home, her little sisters are gazing out the window wondering when their big sister will return. While well, both talk about what the, what will happen when they run off with their sister. Yay. <laughs> happy, happy, happy. <laughs> uh, come morning in the Imperial Palace, Zhirkneve has a council meeting and learns that the workers were all wiped out, compelling the Emperor to order proper countermeasures, uh, if I can even talk, countermeasures, should they come into conflict. All while Fluter looks at them uh, and internally monologues how after six generations of service, he views Zhirkniv as the most extraordinary of all the emperors he has served in the past, even viewing him as a son. Zhirkniv calls him uh, basically out of his blank stare, uh, as he was lost in his thoughts at this point, as he depends on the mystical elder for wisdom in his reign. He asks Fluter if a scapegoat of a noble can be ready uh, basically for... Uh, they're, they're trying to spend like they're trying to scapegoat one of the nobles for what had happened at uh, Nazarene. Ah, uh, good old modern world politics. They're pretty much. Let's blame everybody else. <laughs> Fluter affirms this as the people immediately in the room know the full truth. I'm glad to hear this though. Suddenly, everyone is taken by surprise at the landing of a, a landing of a golden dragon with two dark elves on his back. So this is why Ainz uh, had asked if Mare and Aura were ready to, par to depart. Mm -hmm. He was sending them to the Baharuth Empire on a golden dragon. Like, out of all things, like, you know what? Show up with a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> like, how else can you, like, flex on everybody? <laughs> um, let's see here. Uh, as the uh, the dark elf uh, gets off of its back, Aura makes a proper announcement announcement to the emperor that uh, 
they have sent intruders to Ainz's home. And as Ainz is incensed by this, if nobody takes responsibility, then they have orders to destroy the entire Baharuth Empire. <laughs> Startling the humans in the courtyard at this point. Or starting with the humans at the, uh, in the courtyard. Mare opens up a hole, swallowing every single person in that courtyard, shocking the Emperor and his guards on the balcony who witnessed the display of this power just now. And that is how this little um, arc ends. They're just uh, fucking up the... The entire uh, courtyard of the Baharuth Empire. Uh, it later goes on to where uh, Jerkneve is... He basically goes to the um, the tomb of Nazarek with the head of that noble that they scapegoated <laughs> to try to offer that as a, uh, a like penance for what they had done by invading uh, Nazarek itself. And uh, it was basically, all of this was basically a way for Nazarek to come out into the public area and actually be known where it makes it look like they were attacked first. Oh. So that way they can attack everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, that one devil's plan. Demiurge. Yeah. All his idea. It's like, let's fuck them all up. How about that? But make it look like they attacked us first. Why bother? Because they're basically trying to rule, not destroy everything. So they want loyal followers rather than... They they want obedience rather than uh, like rebels and stuff. Yeah. Because if they took it over by force, everything by force, basically you're going to have rebels show up and try to stop them later on. By taking over, making it look like it's everybody else's fault, we're just defending ourselves. So like Aaron Yeager. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Committed mass genocide. Yep. It's like, hey, man, they started it. I'm just going to finish it. <laughs> Is that shit out yet? I don't even know. Uh, the last part of season, the last season? Yeah. Like uh, part two? Or part I, three? I have no idea what the hell's going on with Attack on Titan. I haven't looked in a while. Aaron Yeager. <laughs> so hopefully everybody followed along with those three episodes uh, in the anime. And uh, with the worst fucking pose for Aaron Yeager, remember? I hate that fucking weird ass scouts. Or you, you, you fucking you crunch up your, your fucking hand, try into your fucking knee or your own fucking forearm. <laughs> your hand into your knee? <laughs> Shit. Your fucking hand into your forearm somehow. <laughs> oh, fucking Aaron Yeager. <laughs> but you got anything else to add before we head out? Aside from doing the Jaeger uh, right. the salute. <laughs> My soldiers do not yield. You know, if our one was there, he would have conquered the whole place. My soldiers do not wither. We rage. <laughs> See, I, if you're going by uh, power skills, I don't even think uh, Aaron Jaeger could beat go. Aaron, he's got a lot of titans. He does, but uh, Ainz, uh, within the series, has never shown his true power yet. (laughs) There was actually one part, uh, I think it's the end of season three. Uh, He he decimates 100,000 people all at once on a battlefield. (laughs) With one spell. I mean, I don't need to leave this fucking country. <laughs> Is that never a concept they think about? Or are they just always just like, well, I'm here now. I think it's that they're just there now. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I got family. I got, I got to go home. Uh, well, uh, later on, uh, the Baharuth Empire. Call this place. Well, they, uh, that kingdom and that Baharuth Empire, they eventually have their annual war again. Mm-hmm. But uh, at this point, uh, the emperor is trying to be friends with Einzelgon. And he says, use your most powerful spell. That way that you can show everybody. Basically, he's trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to gaslight him. Because he wants to backstab him later on. Because he thinks that he can. he's smarter than Einzelgon. But Einzel Gone. Very biased. Gone, though, he uses a spell uh, to the uh, the dark goddess and uh, kills 100,000 people, which summons these nine goat looking things that stomp everybody after that. So he kills a bunch of people. Hmm. They expected him to be able to use a spell to kill maybe 1,000 people. It's like, no, no, no. 100,000. Just gone. Hmm. One spell. But that is everything I got for this. And anything else before we leave? Cool. Aaron Yeager. <laughs> we'll see you guys on the next one.